0: Chapter 13 of How They Succeeded. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tommy Hersant, Carlsbad, California. How They Succeeded by Orison Sweat Marden, the author of the Battle Hymn of the Republic Her Views of Education for Young Women a poet author lecturer wit and conversationalist mrs julia ward howe unites with the attributes of a tender womanly nature which has made her the idol of her husband and children the sterner virtues of a reformer the unflinching courage which dares to stand with a small minority in the cause of a right the indomitable perseverance and force of character which persist in the demand for justice in face of the determined opposition of narrow prejudice and old-time conservatism although more bostonian than the bostonians themselves mrs howe first saw the light in new york and has spent much of her later life at newport Born in 1819, in a stately mansion near the Bowling Green, then the most fashionable quarter of New York, she was the fourth child of Samuel Ward and Julia Cutler Ward, people of unusual culture, refinement, and high ideals. Mr. Ward was a man of spotless honor and business integrity and although not wealthy as compared with the millionaires of to-day his fortune was ample enough to surround his wife and children with all the luxuries and refinements that the most fastidious nature could crave mrs ward possessed a rare combination of personal charms and mental gifts which endeared her to all who had the privilege of knowing her all too soon the death angel came and bore away the lovely young wife and mother then in her twenty-eighth year rousing himself with a great effort from the grief into which the death of his wife had plunged him mr ward devoted himself to the training and education of his children far in advance of his age in the matter of higher education for women he selected as the tutor of his daughters the learned dr joseph Green cogswell with instruction to teach them the full curriculum of harvard college little miss ward the scholarly and refined atmosphere of her father's home which was the resort of the most distinguished men of letters of the day was an admirable school for the development of the literary and philosophic mind of the little miss ward as mr ward's eldest daughter had been called from childhood learned even beyond advanced college graduates of to-day an accomplished linguist A musical amateur of great promise, the young and beautiful Miss Julia Ward of Bond Street soon became a leader of the cultured and fashionable circle in which she moved. In the series Authors at Home by M.C. Sherwood we get a glimpse of her about that time, in a whimsical entry from the diary of a miss hamilton written at the time of the return of dr howe from greece whither he had gone to fight the turks i walked down broadway with all the fashion and met the pretty blue stocking miss julia ward with her admirer dr howe just home from europe she had on a blue satin cloak and a white muslin dress i looked to see if she had on blue stockings but i think not i suspect that her stockings were pink and she wore low slippers as grandmamma does they say she dreams in italian and quotes french verses she sang very prettily at a party last evening i noticed how white her hands were still though attractive the muse is not handsome she married a reformer soon after the loss of her father in eighteen thirty nine miss ward paid the first of a series of visits to boston where she met among other distinguished people who became lifelong friends sarah margaret fuller horace mann charles sumner and ralph waldo emerson in eighteen forty three she was married to the director of the institute for the blind in south boston the physician and reformer dr samuel g howe of whom sydney smith spoke referring to the remarkable results attained in his education of laura bridgman as a modern pygmalion who has put life Into a statue. Immediately after their marriage, Dr. and Mrs. Howe sailed for Europe, making London their first stopping place. There they met many famous men and women, among them Charles Dickens, Thomas Carlyle, Sidney Smith, Thomas More, the Duchess of Sutherland, John Forster samuel rogers richard munken milness and many others after an extensive continental tour including the netherlands switzerland germany france and italy dr and mrs howe returned home and took up their residence in south boston one of her friends has said mrs howe wrote leading articles from her cradle and it is true that at seventeen at least she was an anonymous but valued contributor to the new york magazine then a prominent periodical in eighteen fifty four her first volume of poems was published she named it passion flowers and the boston world of letters hailed her as a new poet though published anonymously the volume at once revealed its author and mrs howe was welcomed into the poetic fraternity by such shining lights as emerson whittier longfellow bryant and holmes the poem by which the author will be forever enshrined in her country's memory is par excellence the battle hymn of the republic which, like Kipling's Recessional, sang itself at once into the heart of the nation. As any sketch of Mrs. Howe would be incomplete without the story of the birth of this great Song of America, it is here given in brief. STORY OF THE BATTLE HYMN OF THE REPUBLIC It was in the first year of our civil war that Mrs. Howe, in company with her husband and friends, visited Washington. During their stay in that city the party went to see a review of troops, which, however, was interrupted by a movement of the enemy and had to be put off for the day. The carriage in which Mrs. Howe was seated with her friends was surrounded by armed men and as they rode along she began to sing to the great delight of the soldiers john brown good for you shouted the boys in blue who with a will took up the refrain mrs howe then began conversing with her friends on the momentous events of the hour and expressed the strong desire she felt to write some words which might be sung to this stirring tune adding that she feared she would never be able to do so she went to sleep, says her daughter Maud Howe Eliot, full of thoughts of battle and awoke before dawn the next morning to find the desired verses immediately present to her mind. She sprang from her bed and in the dim grey light found a pen and paper, whereon she wrote, scarcely seeing them, the lines of the poem. Returning to her couch, she was soon asleep, but not until she had said to herself, I like this better than anything I have ever written before. Of Mrs. Howe, it may very fittingly be said that she is eighty years young her blue eye retains its brightness and her dignified carriage betokens none of the feebleness of age above all her mind seems to hold in a marvelous degree its youthful vigor and elasticity a fact that especially impressed me as the author of the battle hymn of the republic expressed her views on the desirability of a college training for girls the girls who go to college said mrs howe are very much in request i should say for everything certainly for teaching then naturally if they wish to follow literature they have a very great advantage over those who have not had the benefit of a college course having a liberal education to begin with which is the greater advantage to a girl to have talent or great perseverance in order to accomplish anything really worth doing i think great perseverance is of the first importance on the other hand one cannot do a great deal without talent while special talent without perseverance never amounts to much i once heard mr emerson say genius without character is mere friskiness and we all know of highly gifted people who because lacking the essential quality of perseverance accomplish very little in the world do you think the college girl will exercise a greater influence on modern progress and the civilization of the future than her untrained sister oh very much greater was the quick, emphatic reply. In the first place, I think that college-bred girls are quite as likely to marry as others, and when a college girl marries, then the whole family is lifted to a higher plane, the natural result of the well-trained, cultivated mind. Mothers of old, you know, were very ignorant. Indeed, it is sad to think what few advantages they had of course some of them had opportunities to study alone but this solitary study could not accomplish for them what the colleges with their corps of specialists and trained professors are doing for the young women of today. the ideal college speaking of the advantages and disadvantages of co-educational institutions Mrs. Howe said, While there are many advantages in co-education, there are also some dangers. The great advantage consists in the mingling of both sorts of mind, the masculine and the feminine. This gives a completeness that cannot otherwise be obtained. I have observed that when committees are made up of both men and women— we get a roundness and completeness that are lacking when the membership is composed of either sex alone and so in college recitations whether the boys present their side and the girls theirs we get better results this of course is natural fortunately so far scandals have been very rare if found at all in co-education at colleges many people however would not care to trust their children nor would we send every girl to such colleges and for this reason i am glad that we have women's colleges i think however that if the students are at all earnest and have high ideals set before them the co-educational is the ideal college for the course in these colleges is like a great Intellectual RACE, WHICH AROUSES AND STIMULATES ALL THE NOBLER FACULTIES. WHAT INFLUENCE DO YOU THINK ENVIRONMENT HAS ON ONE'S CAREER, ON SUCCESS IN LIFE? WHAT DO YOU MEAN BY ENVIRONMENT? WELL, I MEAN ESPECIALLY THE SORT OF PEOPLE WITH WHOM ONE IS ASSOCIATED, THEIR ORDER OF MIND. I THINK IT HAS A VERY IMPORTANT EFFECT if we are kept perpetually under lowering influences lowering both morally and aesthetically the tendency will inevitably be to drag us down i say aesthetically because i think in that sense good taste is a part of good morals YOU CAN, OF COURSE, HAVE GOOD TASTE WITHOUT GOOD MORALS, BUT WITH MORALITY THERE IS A CERTAIN FEELING OR MEASURE OF RESERVE AND NICETY, WHICH DOES NOT ACCOMPANY GOOD TASTE WITHOUT GOOD MORALS. YOU KNOW, ST. PAUL SAYS, EVIL COMMUNICATIONS CORRUPT GOOD MANNERS. THAT IS AS TRUE TODAY AS IT EVER WAS we can't always be with our equals or our superiors however we must take people as we find them but we should try to be with people who stand for high things morally and intellectually then when we have to be among people of a lower grade we can help them because i think human nature on the whole desires to be elevated rather than lowered do you think it is necessary to success in life to have a special aim i think it is a great thing to have a special aim or, or talent and it is better to make one thing the leading interest in life than to run after half a dozen End of chapter 13